You're listening to the Start Today podcast. I'm Eric, and this is episode 17 on Operation Juice Box and building the bridge between law enforcement and the youth. All right. We are here. Should I uh, introduce you guys? You want to say hi first? Hello. Hey. So we have with us Deputy Grant from the Riverside Sheriff's Department and Chelsea Parham, the amazing founder and uh, what ambitious leader, leader, fearless leader of Operation Juicebox. And when you first told me about it, I didn't know that was your thing. I think I was following it on social media or wherever. And then you contacted me and said, we should talk about this because it's we cool. Should. So what what are we doing here? Tell yeah. me about Operation well, Juice Well, first Box. of all, I was shocked that you didn't know it was me. No. Well, I saw <laughs> you. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just had, I don't know. I don't meddle. You're like, I'm just going to follow it. It's cool. Yeah. She's got a cool logo. If you're connected, I'll then I'll connect. do it. Yeah, you it's know, fine. We'll do it. But you know what I've been thinking a lot about lately is, okay, so we have been like friends mm-hmm. or acquainted since a long time, I, I guess. Yeah, like you over 20 years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So I think this is cool. And we have a few other friends that are kind of in our same age range that are starting to do their own thing, maybe getting some late start ambition, which I think is cool because you work through the mundane work and then you're like, what happened to being creative? And that we're all just, um, I think we've all been creative. I think that we're just, um, all realizing there's more to the world than the grind. Oh, the grind. Yeah. Got to make a difference somehow. Right. Cause Brandon, who is another friend of ours who I'm trying to get on here. I begged him for a little bit. Come on, Brandon. Maybe he'll hear this and get on it. He started working class active. Then you guys both know Deputy Gomez. Easy. Blue line. Grappling. Yeah, like all kind. We're doing things. We're doing our own thing, and we're not waiting for other people to do it for us. It's kind of cool how we all kind of know each other, too. That is weird. It is kind of weird. Yeah, but I dig it. And Deputy Grant here, he's on board with us. I love it. Yeah. So so what are we doing? Okay, so. Or what are you doing? What am I'm I doing? I'm not doing anything, but you taking at me? forever. So it all started in the summer of 2016, and there had been a lot of shootings. A lot of officers had been killed, and there were several shootings where officers had killed civilians across the country. And there was a lot of unrest. There was a lot of um, protesting happening, violent protesting happening in the streets. Parents taking their kids out and not doing peaceful protests like Dr. King. It was all kind of scary. And I was at work because I'm in law enforcement too. And I was watching what was happening and, and thinking, gosh, some of these little kids could grow up to be law enforcement officers, police officers, deputies, whatever. And maybe they're not going to because they're learning this behavior that we all need to hate the cops. But you have to have law Mm -hmm. enforcement. There has to be law and order. And if you don't have it, then society is going to be crazy. It's going to be worse than it is, you know, now. 
So I thought, you know, we can all sit around and talk about how there has to be change. But unless somebody actually steps up to the plate and does something, nothing's ever going to yeah. change. So who am I to sit around and preach about it or complain about it unless I'm going to do something myself? I think that's the easy. I catch myself doing that, too. Even before I started this podcast and then, you know, me and my good friend, Mike, who's my co-host, started developing it. You, it's real easy to live in a in a fantasy of say, oh, I'm going to do whatever I can fill in the blank, whatever, but never do it. And I think that's I think that's real easy. It's easy to live in the clouds, and I think it takes a lot of nerve to initiate your own things without anyone's permission. But yeah. that's what it takes. It's a lot easier to just hate the cops instead of just stand out. And try to do something. And do something to right. bridge the gap between the community, the youth, the whomever right. the target is. So I thought about it and I thought, man, what is something, what, what can we do? And I prayed about it, actually prayed a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot about it. And um, just had it on my heart that maybe something as simple as a juice box that's small, that the guys can carry in the units, um, doesn't take a lot of space, doesn't really you know cost much. Um, might be something that while they're rolling around in the neighborhoods that they're patrolling, if they see a kid out there, stop, say, hey, you guys, you guys hot? You guys playing basketball? You want a juice box? Let's talk. What's going on in your life? How's school going? Yeah. And then we're breaking down those barriers. Because you know? in, in, I don't know if it's still like this, but I always had it in my head, like places like New York City or you know, these other like old, old, old cities where law enforcement maybe back in the day was just a guy walking around the neighborhood. Right. Like he literally knew maybe he went to school with all the people that he's dealing with or maybe right. it's his family or, well, you know. There are several people that I do work with who actually grew up in that area. So and it's actually interesting because you see these people and they have friends and family and you go to different calls for service and they will say, hey, do you know deputy so-and-so? Do you know deputy so-and-so? Right. And they'll say, oh, we went to high school together. Or he was my next-door neighbor. Or, I know his mom. Or and So it's really interesting to actually see that and to see that works. Right, right. And I would imagine in, in that type of situation, too, that you're going to get maybe family that's like maybe you would go to a call because it's your neighborhood, it's your beat. And you have to go, like, deal with the, maybe your drunk uncle. I don't know. That but. does happen. We have one person. He did grow <laughs> up in the area in which I, which I work. And he, he's related to almost everyone in that, in that community. And every time you go on a call, they'll say, hey, you know deputy so-and-so. He's my cousin. Sure enough, you'll call him up. You'll say, I don't know her. That's not my cousin. Leave him alone. Or, you know, I don't, do, what you, do your job. Right, right. So it's always interesting to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. So when, when you give the, the juice boxes to the officers, when you first came up with this, what was, what was their response like? So just to backtrack, just a step <laughs> or two. So when I thought about it, I thought, okay, well, so how am I going to do this? Like I'll start yeah. locally in my own neighborhood, helping out my own guys that are patrolling my streets. You know, that's where I can start, not some big crazy thing. So I just put a little word out on the street in my neighborhood and said, hey, this is my idea. I want to help our local guys. And I had a few neighbors that were like all on board. Like, yeah, let's give them juice boxes. And so um, I approached two of the deputies who were on board. They thought it was great. Um, did you know them happy. or did you just flag them down? Like, No, how did I you didn't. 
I knew of them because I've worked with them, but I. Oh, okay. You weren't a total stranger saying, no. hey, take this juice right. box. Ha ha ha. No. No, 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 no. Yeah. That sounds scary. No, she, not she at all. She the guy in a van. Yeah. <laughs> Rolled up, no windows, tinted. A shag wagon. <laughs> right. <laughs> So handed the guys the juice boxes and then they <laughs> went out into the, went out into the streets. And so from there, you know, just from a box of Capri Suns, we're growing, you know, and something that started so little in my own neighborhood, in my own house. Now I'm a registered 501c3 nonprofit, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a process too, right? Yeah, it is they a process. They just don't hand that out. No, they don't people. just hand that out. That's awesome. You have to go through some hoops to get there you know and it, in reality it's probably not a lot of work but it is a lot of work when you're working full-time and you're trying to do it and trying to figure it out and you know can it can kind of be I don't know you can put it on the back burner but it's just something that I've kept at and in two years we've given out over 7,000 juice boxes in Riverside Orange and San Bernardino counties wow it's a lot of juice boxes that is a lot of kids. What, what kind of juice box? Maybe one day it'll make it to the ears of one of these places. They'll send you a some free Kool-Aid stuff. Kool-Aid or Capri Sun that I keep tagging in all my posts and reaching out to. Um, uh, well, we'll tag them again. Yeah, let's tag them. So, you know, we're really truthfully grateful for anything that we get because, you know, it is all donation. Um, so whatever anybody wants to send, I think Capri Sun and Kool-Aid work just a little bit better because they're in cardboard boxes, so they're not flopping around. And Oh, yeah, you could stack them and yeah, do all that. Yeah, it's a little that. bit easier. But, you know, we're happy for anything. Kids are happy for anything. So. Yeah. So have you, have you ever been on, I don't know, like a ride-along, or have you been out with the officers when they do this to see firsthand, or what, what's the feedback that you're getting? Deputy I mean, if Grant, what's the feedback that you're getting? The community loves it. Yeah, yeah. The community loves it. Every time I've went out and done and done an event, it's just amazing to see the see the support of the children and their families. Yeah, who just who just embrace it, and then you start telling them what it's for, and they'll start asking you different questions as to how can I get involved, what can I do, and it's it's just it's it's amazing. I've done it with children as young as elementary all the way up to high school, and. Even, so even the high schoolers oh, they're, who yeah. are too cool to do anything other than destroy schools, they want it. school oh. property. Yeah. And it's actually okay. funny okay. because the high school kids are the ones that actually will beg you the most. You have any more Capri Suns? You have any Capri Suns? They'll actually come to my office and ask for them. Really? Yes, they will. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is cool. And I don't think I've ever heard... I maybe have heard two two things that were kind of, you know, not so nice. When I was start, first starting to talk to somebody about it, and, you know, the, I was talking to a, a sergeant about it and just kind of giving him my idea and wanted to just make sure it was cool with him. You yeah. Know, if his guys took took a couple juice boxes out. And um, he was just kind of like, well, what if they don't want a juice box? And I, okay. They don't have to have a juice box. Right. I mean, it's just something extra. 
I mean, not everybody's going to be happy with everything all the time. Can't please everybody. But it's just the idea of trying to break the barrier between law enforcement and kids and let the kids see cops are not bad. We got to talk to cops. They're they're deputies. They're there to to help you, to keep you safe. And maybe by this one small little item, this little kid is going to think, man, I remember when I was a little kid and, you know, Deputy Grant gave me a juice box and now I want to be a deputy when I grow up. Yeah. Just like Deputy Gomez, or Gomez? Gomez. Was that who you were talking to? Oh, yeah. Um, When you were interviewing him and he said he remembers up in Oakland an officer smiling at him and that made him want to be a cop. A smile. I mean, so think about... First impression goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And and before we started recording, um, Deputy Grant was telling me about a similar situation out here from his childhood. Do you want to do you want to go into that a little bit? Because it's kind of it kind of ties in. It seems like the people who are really hit by it. It's like these flash moments that just happen. And you're like, no, that's it. That's I'm I'm set. I'm going into law enforcement. And that's it. So. I was about six, seven years old. I was living in San Bernardino, California, the west side of San Bernardino, California, which at once upon a time was a pretty decent place. Um, kind of as time went on, at mid, late 80s, the crack, uh, crack gang kind of moved in from L.A. out there, all the gangsters. Well, one time my father and I were in the backyard, and he had a friend who was a San Bernardino police officer. His name was Frank Panacucci. Before then... He was like a New Yorker, probably. Yeah, at one he, point he was Italian. Life, Sounds right? like yeah. He was Italian. His <laughs> uncle was on the beat. <laughs> Got the little white kitty cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Frank and my father worked at Stater Brothers together, and before Frank became a police officer. So after Frank graduated from the academy and he completed his training, he pulls up to my dad and I in the backyard, and he introduces my dad introduced me to him, and we're having this conversation. Well, during the conversation, the alert tone goes off, and he's like, I got to take off. I have to take off. And as he takes off, you know, he's leaving with lights and sirens. And it was one of the best feelings in the world to see that police car leave with lights and sirens. And right then I knew what I wanted to be. I mean, I knew from that point on I wanted to be a police officer. Even at eight or seven, did you feel... Like a little adrenaline? Did you feel like yes. an excitement? I get excited talking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's, that. It still excites me to talk about it right now. It's Like I said, it's one of the best experiences that I think I can ever be a part of. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you, I mean, you grew up with it. I did grow up with it. So you, you must have been hearing these types of things your whole life. Yes. Or maybe not hearing it at no, all, I depending think- on the type of person your dad was, but. I mean, he didn't tell us scary stories. I remember a couple scary stories. Or even, you know, my grandpa was chief of police. He worked for Corona PD. He started with RSO, was Corona PD, and was retired as chief. And my dad is RSO, RPD, SBSO. And so there's Look at that. the gamut. Everybody. That is, yeah. So, you know, I kind of just always knew that at some point I was going to be involved in law enforcement myself. So here we are. And how long... Are you into it now? 12 years. 12 years? Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Yeah. 16 years. 16 years for you? Yes. Yeah. That You guys are both almost halfway. I have, halfway another, through. I have another 10, 15 years and I'm done. Yeah? Yes. 
That's that's see. That's why I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, or both of you are doing what you're doing, and all the other officers and deputies that are attached to this, especially with working with the youth, which I'm sure as an SRO, you you know, like... For those of you that don't know, an SRO is a school resource officer. Yeah. Those are real cops, too, by the way. Yes, everyone. we are. Uh, we're, my, not, we're not burnouts on patrol. No. no. Mind <laughs> your freaking P's, P's and, and Q's. Q's. That's for sure. Because I've seen these dudes slam folks. So um, I remember when I was in high school, I saw one one time because these guys wouldn't stop fighting. And our SRO at our high school just straight body slam this kid. And it's like, well, it's better than the pepper spray, I guess. I don't know. I don't know which one's better. I haven't done either. <laughs> so I don't want either. So <laughs> I, I'm just going to. But. Oh, I totally lost it. We're talking about growing up in it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So did even though you were growing up in it, do you think you had a point where you were like decisive as a child? Like, no, this is it. I, there's not even another option. Or was it just so natural that you didn't even have to think about it? It just. I, I mean, I just kind of always knew that I wanted to be in law enforcement. I, I but there was no like specific time. I got into it a little bit later than yeah. most, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be out there on the streets. Hit them streets. So after but the the officer took off, he was running the lights and sirens and doing that. Growing up in San Bernardino, for people who don't know, most of our listeners don't know because they're probably from this area, but for the, for the people that don't, San Bernardino is a little rough. It's a little rough. So little how bit. did you how did you stay? I mean, because at eight years old, seven years old, you might have thought, oh, I want to be a cop. I want to be a fireman. I want to be the president or like, right? Like there's these kind of lists. But just a really, police officer. It's either a plumber or a police officer, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, it's either a plumber or a police officer. Do you really want to be a plumber? Yes. I you actually know, I, I, Do you know how to plumb? Is that what it's called? I think so. I actually think that stuff is complicated. <laughs> I don't get that stuff at all. I don't want to be a plumber. No. So I applaud you for that. Good job. Yeah. You could always, you could still do that. Nah, that's you okay. You could do a side gig. Yeah, an amateur. But. <laughs> <laughs> Grant's plumbing. No. That's actually a good, that would be it. Yeah. That would be it. We're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But what kept what kept you on the straight and narrow, considering the the influences that were around you and I had very know. I have very great parents. My parents were very strict on me. Um, my family grew up in the South. My dad from Wilmot, Arkansas. My mother from Hughes Springs, Texas. My grandmother was same from Mount Pleasant, Texas. Yeah. So my family, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather. And my uncle moved to China Lake in the early 50s. My grandfather was in the Army. And then my dad moved to California in about the mid to late 60s. He was in the Army then after he... Oh, so it was that military influence. Yes. Yeah, I have that too. Right. I have that too. So um, my family, my mom and dad, I had friends that were into a little bit of everything. Gangs, drugs, fighting. You name it. And I hung out with those guys. But my f- mother and father always, I had a curfew. 
my curfew was nine o'clock every night. Didn't matter what we were doing. It was nine o'clock. Yeah. And I remember I would always get mad at them because my friends would be out doing whatever they did past nine o'clock, not going to school the next day or getting arrested. You're always worried you're going to miss something. Right. No, I know (laughs) that feeling. Yeah. And as I got older and I kind of seen that transition between my life and their life. And I think from the time that I was in high school until the time I was in my early to mid twenties, I probably lost at least one or two friends a year to either some sort of gang violence or drug violence. Yeah. So that really made an impression on my life as to what I wanted to do with my life. Because like I said, I always knew that I wanted, wanted to go into law enforcement, but it took me a while to get into it. Um, I first started off, you, you can get hired when you're 21. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. Or even 18, right, for corrections? Correction, yes. Uh, I didn't realize at the time, but I had dyslexia. And I'd applied at several different agencies. And for whatever reason, I couldn't pass the written test. And I finally went out and got myself a personal tutor. Are they the ones that caught that? Yes, one of the background investigators actually caught it. Really? Yes. My background investigator at the first agency I ever worked for, he actually caught it. He said, you know, I'm looking at your writing. That would have been shocking to hear, I bet. Right. And it's interesting because I was about 25, 26 when I picked up on it. Like, I I had no idea. I graduated from high school, graduated from college, and no one ever said anything to me. It was just kind of like, just push them through. You got through college with it? (laughs) That's bananas. Yes. I got through college with it. What kind of, that must, I can only imagine the struggle. Right. Trying to get through that. Right. And that's crazy. So I went out and I got a personal tutor and the chief at that time told me, he said, if you can just improve just enough, he said, I'll hire you. So I went to my personal tutor about twice a week and about six months into it, I we approached the chief and I said, chief, I think I'm ready. And at that time he said, okay, well come aboard. He said, I'll talk to your sergeant and talk to the couple people that you ride with. He said, we'll see how it goes. And, and you were already in your mid-20s. Yes. I think when I got hired, I was about 27, 28 years old. Wow. Yes. That is... You uh, just gave your age away. It's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> just kidding. You're as old as you feel. <laughs> <laughs> I must be like 65, I think. Man. So that's... Man, what an interesting uh, thing to have happen. I don't know what comes with dyslexia, but... Was there ever any headaches or there was no indicate? I don't even know if headache is part of it. I just kind of would imagine if your eyes aren't working, it jacks your head. But no, it's no headaches, no anything. It's just weird because I can be, I can see something and I can, I can sit there reading a document. And as I'm reading the document, I'll actually miss words. So uh, in my head, yeah. in my head, they're there. But when I read it, they're not there. And it's even when I write sometimes, it, the same thing will happen. Wow. So it just, it became a struggle and you just, you learn how to um, work with it. Yeah. Different, you learn different things, reading out loud or you have a tape recorder and you have to read your reports or things into the tape recorder and you have to replay it back out loud t- to yourself to actually allow you to, uh, to process what's going on. Mm-hmm. Hard work. Yeah, yeah it is. So has that affected your, your job? I think it has in the in the early part. Um, I think I carried a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because of it. I thought that I was, um, I thought I was a little bit better than what I thought I was. And it made me lose a lot of things in life. But I think th- through those losses, I actually gained more mm-hmm. through the losses than I ever had before. 
That's interesting how that happens. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So what um what would that be? Like if if you don't mind sharing like the the losses and the gains like Losses. I, uh, I was at San Jacinto Police Department. That was the first original agency that hired me. Oh, uh-huh. and then I came to Riverside County Sheriff's Department after they, the departments merged. That was, I believe, it was June of two thousand four, two thousand six. Is that about the time that Paris lost their? That was earlier. Paris was about five to six years earlier. Oh, okay. But yeah. the same kind of thing was happening. They were having yeah. economic, yes, problems. Well, it was a blue flu that we that we uh, put into place that didn't pan out for us. But I tell everyone, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me and a lot of other guys like myself who came to the sheriff's department because we actually, we were actually able to experience something that we never did. San Jacinto Police Department was at that time about 26 officers. We had on most days you had one sergeant and two officers. You had State Street into straight State Street divided the city, so you had one officer east, one officer west, and that was it for all major incidents. What? Yeah, and our biggest if we needed help, we would bare either, bones right yeah, there. We either called Hemet Police Department or Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Yeah. So a lot of our interaction with Riverside County Sheriff's Department were, it was kind of a negative because you know big brother, little brother, and uh, so when I mm. came over to the Sheriff's Department, I immediately went over to Paris Station, and. My sergeant, who just passed away as a lieutenant, Steve Brown, great guy, great guy. Um, I remember my first day, I walk into briefing, and I sit down, and he looks at me, and he says, I don't know what type of four-letter words that you're used to, but here, we don't do it that way. So me, still, I was still pretty new to law enforcement, about three to four years in law enforcement. I took it kind of personal, mm-hmm. and I let it affect my confidence because not what not only that but it's like a lot of the deputies that were my training officers or my beat partners they weren't too accepting of me and that's just and i i look back at it now and i say it wasn't them not accepting of me i was not accepting of them i think i came around with them with a bigger chip on my shoulder and i didn't allow myself to accept the culture that i was coming into because i wanted to embrace the old culture that i had came from so I had stayed there for about a year and a half, two years, and I ended up going over to Corona Police Department, and my attitude still continued because here I am thinking I'm the big fish in the pond, and all these other guys, they don't know what they're talking about. Huh. And shortly after that, I was there about nine months, and I got released on training, during training. And I want to say I spent about a year and a half, no, I spent about nine months away from, away from work. And you got terminated. I got terminated. I got oh. terminated. It was right after Super Bowl Sunday. I remember that because <laughs> it was right after Super Bowl Sunday. And I I remember I get the phone call. They go meet the they meet the captain. And when I walk in, the captain tells me, Well, you didn't pass training and we're gonna release you today. And I said, Okay. I mean, I knew I I saw it coming. Yeah. Because my attitude was so negative. I put up a block wall, like you can't teach me anything, you can't tell me anything. And I think that's just something that most cops go through, especially young in your career. Can Can you explain the that? Because I I think I lost you. Where did this? Where did the? I mean, would you call it ego? Yes. Or where did that come from? Like, San. So, 
I'm guessing you're saying San Jacinto was so dialed in that what got absorbed into the sheriff's office, you thought it was nonsense. Like, what the heck is this? Uh, How did they run this? This is ridiculous. Well, now, looking back at it, I wouldn't say we were so dialed in. We were just a smaller agency, uh-huh. and we really didn't have the resources that you see a lot of the other agencies have. I mean, we're talking you had to about adapt more to yeah. situations with what you had. And right. I mean, it was 2002. We didn't have computers in our car. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the big thing. We didn't have computers in our cars. You have to write everything down. You get a call, and you have to write down the address on the call that you're going to. We didn't have evidence text. We didn't have we didn't have a lot of things that the average agency has. Yeah. So I think that was kind of to us. We were hey, we do everything ourselves, so we don't need anybody. We don't need help from anyone else because we we know how to do all these things. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So that attitude transferred all the way to Corona PD. Correct. And they're like, oh, no, that's not how we work. <laughs> right. We're not doing this. Have a nice day. Yeah. So, yeah. And I remember. There's that- 50 of you <laughs> after you that want your gig. And it really yeah. was. I mean, it was interesting because I remember coming home and I cried. But I think that at that time, there were tears of joy because I was like, I finally got this, I finally got this gorilla off of my back. And for the next three months, I think I put on, I went from like 280 to like 350, had a full blown beard. Wow. And I just, I yeah, lost, you got to let that beard go. <laughs> for a little bit. I lost all motivation. I really, I really did. I lost all motivation in life. And, um, I just went through a bad breakup at that time. So it was just me and my dogs. Yeah. No. And yeah, it's, I mean, but you know, it's I a remember Disney movie. <laughs> well, I tell people, I said my life, I tell people my life is something like, like a country music song. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember at that time, one of the chaplains that I had befriended when I was working with the sheriff's department, Paul Kruger, Paul and I became really good friends and Paul would check on me a lot. And I remember he would just talk to me, Hey, everything's going to be all right. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I actually had no intent of coming back to the sheriff's department. I was like, you know, I'll go to any other agency. I'm not going to go back and work with those guys. It's that, you know, people, they're going to talk about me. They're going to do this. And, yeah. and I had a deputy who called me and she said, hey, everyone is talking about you around that, that you got fired. What are you doing? And I said, I'm going to apply to a couple of other agencies. I don't know which ones yet. I said, but I'm not going back there. So termination isn't an automatic DQ from other places. No. That's it, good. That's interesting because I've, I, well, I just would think, I think otherwise. It's situational, right? yeah. You know, it, circumstantial. Right. right. You sure. didn't like but for DUI him, yeah. or do no, anything no. crazy. No, it was just um, training, and uh, they released me on training. So I ended up reapplying with the sheriff's department, and as I was during the hiring process, my stepson at the time he was he was a uh, playing youth football. And I remember about two weeks before my uh, medical, I'm teaching the kids how to tackle. And one of the kids hit me in my side. I didn't think anything about it. So when I go to take my medical exam, the physician tells me, hey, we have a couple of issues going on. One, you have high blood pressure, which I kind of already knew. Mm. And then the second one, he said, we found a trace of blood in your urine. And he said, Mm. you know, normally we find blood, trace of blood in your urine. It's a sign of cancer. And it was... They shouldn't joke to that, first of all. They shouldn't be throwing that out. Let's... So he told me, he said, you need need to go get more tests done. He said, so you need to go see your regular physician. Well, I didn't have a a regular physician at that time. So I went to the local county hospital and 
got a couple more tests, and both tests came back positive. And, and for cancer? No, for a trace of blood in my urine. Oh, mm. right. Okay. Mm. So, mm. and I remember. Jeez. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I remember on um, this last time that, that the, the very the third test, I went back home and I cried in my bed. And I was like, mm. you know what? If I have cancer, it's not going to take me. I'm going to take it. Yeah. And I, that next morning, I made the decision to wake up. I said, I'm going to start eating right every day. And I'm going to start working out. And I actually woke up the next morning at 5 o'clock and I started jogging. And I started eating right. And I actually went down from the 350 that I was at to the time I got hired back with the sheriff's department. I think I was about 260, 265. Wow. And I tell a lot of people, um, I said it was actually a it was it was actually a great experience for me because I was actually able to find that inner that inner strength in myself. And I actually got in touch with the Lord at that time. That was that was a time when uh, Paul and I, we would meet up constantly and he would just start telling me how much Jesus loved me. How that much, was the chaplain. Yes, he was the chaplain. And he and Chris Seward, they're both, they both chaplains with the department. And just hearing their stories about how much Jesus loved me and how much, and how much I needed to be back where I was. And I tell everyone to this day, I said, this is my second time at this career. And you never realize how much you miss something until you can't do it anymore. Right, right. That's, see, and that's the kind of stuff that I think the youth connect with, especially like you work with the youth and they need to know, you know, that you're just, you're just people out there. You're trying to get through life. You're trying to provide, you're trying to pay your house note. You're trying to do the things that normal people do. Your job just happens to be what it is. And I'm trying to think of like how does that how does your background and and yours too Chelsea like how does that bring the youth in because they have to think because I work with the youth too you don't know anything they know everything like right like that especially like I work in arguably the worst behaved like bona fide like worst behaved middle schools possibly in the county and the kids are like you just don't know what we're about basically is how they talk to you and some of them will look they are looking up to you but they're looking down at you correct all the time and i'm like i grew up a mile from here where this nothing's different i'm just older than you and i look different than you that's it like that's honestly (laughs) that's what it is How did we get here? <laughs> I feel like we were just there. That age? And now we're grown-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to our parents. I, I would imagine so our parents crazy. are probably roughly the same age. Um, I don't know. It just happened in flash of an eye. Here's a perspective. I came here from 29 Palms. That's where I was born. I was raised all over. My dad was my age now. When he retired from the Marine Corps, four kids, uh, single dad, took a whole year off of my freshman year of high school. He took a whole year off to train to enter the police academy, which he did my sophomore year of high school. And unfortunately for him, he didn't 
even though he sponsored himself, he didn't he didn't get picked up anywhere. I, I guess he had some some skeletons in his closet from the Marine Corps days. But my dad was my age. I would get friends. They'd, they'd be like, "Dude, I just saw your dad running up Paris Boulevard." Like, yeah, my dad is a freaking G. That's why. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he right. he really was too. Like, he was all jacked, like thirty eight years old, and I'm thirty eight, and I'm like, I'm not thirty eight. <laughs> I know. Right? It's so weird. It's and now so my dad, funny. I think he just turned 62. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> We're going to be 62 in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, so What the hell is this? Scary how fast it goes. Yeah. Honestly. So, and, <sighs> I, and I also think, too, that dealing with the youth, because life does move that quick, and we know from experience it's moving that quick, and I didn't start feeling it until after 30, I think, to be honest. Like, But I don't have kids. You know, a lot of my friends have kids in their mid-20s, early 20s. I don't even have kids. I don't have a wife. So maybe that's why I still feel like more youthful than um, I actually I am. I think that that matters. Well, I'm just saying the time accelerates when those other things enter your life, too. I know. but I. You know what I mean? I mean, I still feel like sometimes I'm like I'm 18 still. Do you ever feel like that? No, not really. Oh, no, lucky you. Uh, excuse you're, me. You're embracing your aging <laughs> yeah. with with, right. with some dignity because I'm in total rebellion. <laughs> like I just I, I just can't believe. But I I realized, and I talked about this on the our last episode or one of the last episodes. I knew I wasn't the same as these kids because I still go to shows. Like I I'm you know I do things. I'm cool, right? I'm cool. I'm a cool guy. I used to be cool. I'm still cool, whatever. Right. No. And then they started saying words that I literally had no idea what they were talking about. I was like, oh, I'm not them. Mm-hmm. I'm not them anymore. Mm-mm. It's a whole different language they speak these days. Yeah. It is a whole different language. But did we speak a different language when we were we kids? Did. Do you we think? did. We, we did. did. Yeah, like for sure. Yes. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I didn't speak was- for sure, but I spoke. <laughs> I mean, I said, who was I saying? I said rad to somebody the other day. I said, gosh, oh, I that is say. so rad. And they were like, uh, that was the 90s. That's Valley Girl. Nobody says that anymore. That was even before the 90s. And so you texted me the other day and you said rad. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm snapping <laughs> a photo of this. And I'm sending it to the person that told me that rad is totally out. No, it isn't. I no. say rad, radical all the time. Yeah. No, it's, it's still in. It's just our verbiage. So... The 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 question I have then, this this juice box, it gives you purpose to because life is moving this quick, and the kids don't know that it is, but it is. Mm-hmm. It hasn't hit them yet, and I have a similar thing that I'm working on that I'm well. I hope to be proposing to the school district at some point about intervening in a similar, not what you're doing, but the similar concept of intervening in these kids lives and redirecting them because most of them you're not going to get, but the ones that you do get, it could be something as life changing as the one event that made you want to be a police officer. Why don't you not talk about it with anybody until you get it like locked down in your name? Yeah. Well, I'm going to, but I'm just saying like I have, cause I have a friend that could help you. I have goals too that interview because I figure it'll be on my head. And possibly, you know, for people who believe in this, possibly my judgment that if I don't help these kids while I had the opportunity, I'm going to be 62 soon. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
it'll be tomorrow. It'll feel like mm-hmm. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have wasted opportunity for, for, the, for, right. the, for the youth. The, but so I applaud what you're doing. I think that's really cool. And it, and it gives, they may not realize it, but you're giving them purpose. I think a lot of lives. times people will think, oh, it's just a juice box. Like, who cares about that? But when you're out in these areas where people can't always afford a juice box, I've heard it so many times when I'm out, you know, at an event and I'm giving juice boxes out. And I'm sure you've probably heard it too. I don't know. But the kids will say, oh, it's an expensive juice box. And it's like an expensive juice box. It's like a Kool-Aid jammer or it's a Capri Sun. But these kids don't get stuff like that. Yeah. At all. And... So something so simple is making a huge impact and impression on these kids where people might just think that it's dumb and maybe, you know, I'm not going to be a part of that. Uh, Okay, don't. But the people that are a part of it are definitely being rewarded. It's not just the kids. It's the deputies and officers, too. I mean, I recently had a sergeant who reached out to me because I needed some juice boxes. I was short and I needed some. And, um, he sent me a message and said, Hey, you know, what, whatever you need, let me know. And I said, well, yeah, I do need some. So he brought me, he bought out two stores of juice boxes for me, which I was shocked. Yeah. Super kind. That's huge. And he came and he worked an entire event with me, which I was surprised about and was not expecting that. And that was like very helpful. And afterwards he, he's told me, he said, I didn't realize what you've taken on here. Like I didn't realize what this little juice box is doing for these kids until I was out here with you tonight, handing these juice boxes out to kids and like seeing their faces. He's like, you're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the, cause obviously you, you did this out of a need uh, out of like a need of the youth, they may not know that they need it, but they need something for them to switch their way of thinking. Right. So when I was growing up and I don't even think it has anything to do in, in my particular circumstances because my dad didn't talk like this. I think it, it didn't have anything to do with being white or in a white neighborhood or a black neighborhood. It, none of that. My dad wasn't like that. Like, we had Marine Corps culture. That's mm-hmm. what we were raised in. And that, at least in my experience, supersedes any other culture that you might have because there's no time to get in. it. I'm not saying there aren't that within the military. I'm just saying how I was raised. Mm-hmm. Race and all of that. I don't, to be honest, I don't even know what race is. I, I, I get so lost in all this conversation, but. Not this conversation, but you know what I'm saying? The dialogue of what race relations even means. I, I've always struggled with that because I, I don't have really much experience of not just being around people, whoever they may be. So why when did it when did it shift from cops being one hundred percent trustworthy, at least from my perspective and how I was raised with my parents, to oh, no, we just don't trust them at all to, well, now we need to make programs with the youth so that they trust the cops again. Like, what? what is happening? I don't know if that's making sense. I, it does. It does make sense. Um, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure because, you know, growing up, I've always been a part of it. I'm a child of mixed race. 
Um, so I, you know, my father's side of the family, they're black and my mom's side of the family is white. And this is just the life that I've lived my whole life. If you look at me, I don't look black. (laughs) I look white. Um, but your siblings did more. um, If I remember correctly, it's been, they were children the last time I saw them. Yeah. They were little, which they're not anymore, which is also, they're all grown. So crazy doing their thing. Um, so it's just, it's interesting, at least in my perspective, because I see, I see what my grandfather had to go through. I see what my dad had to go through. I've seen what I've had to witness people not knowing who they're talking to. Oh, getting a little too loose with yeah. their tongue. Thinking that they things. can just rap about certain things, not sure. knowing what my background is. And it's just not acceptable. I don't care what color skin you are. Black, white, you know, Hispanic, Asian, purple, whatever. It's not it's not acceptable in this day and age. We all are who we are. And and I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like black cops have a harder time as they're out on patrol, especially now when they're when we're in the communities. I don't not with our kind. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you one of the things that I see is it's interesting. I always tell people this when we talk about race. I say, um, I can't tell someone what's like to be white. It's like they can't tell me what's like to be black because we don't each one of we all have our different experiences. I say, but one thing if you never experience it, I said, I've been in uniform and I've actually walked by elderly women of all races. And to watch them grab their purse. I've seen it when I'm in uniform, in out in of uniform, uniform, in uniform, full blown uniform. Oh, and I have seen people they'll 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 grab their purse and you'll they'll hold it tight to them. And I always think it's funny because I'm like, ma'am, if you really knew what type of person I am, I will open the door for you and do anything before I want to take your purse. Right. I right. Said, you know, and but people just assume you'll literally get yeah. shot for them. Right. Yeah. Right. That's my job. Yeah. That's, that's He's out there protecting them. It's my job. Uh, and, but in my career, I met people from so many different backgrounds. And even in my life, I met people from so many different backgrounds. And I think as time goes on, you kind of learn people are just people. And one thing I could say about the Operation Juice Box, and you kind of touched on earlier, like, how do we go wrong? Well, I think a lot of inner city kids we grow up thinking that the government is not our friend mm-hmm. because some of these kids, their parents taken to jail by the police. CPS has come and re- removed them from their household. Sure. Uh, there's been different government entities that have come and take them away from their family members. And so I think as time has gone on, it just, it, it, it happens so many times that as you get older, you just don't like police officers. I mean, I've talked to kids and, I've had kids tell me, you know, my mother and father told me, don't ever trust the police. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter what race you are. You don't trust the police. It doesn't matter what race the police are. You just don't trust them. And that's yeah. not okay. And no, that's not for sure. And it's interesting because if you listen to Chelsea and I, how we both grew up, she grew up in a predominantly law enforcement family. I grew up on the other end of that, that type in a different, whole different community right. where, where we didn't trust law enforcement. And I think it's very 
one reason why I got involved with Operation Juice Box is for that reason, because I want kids to understand that not every police officer that that approaches you or comes to your house is out to do bad to you and your family. And it's, it's, it's really, it's a really cool experience that when you sit back and you talk to some of these kids and you say, Hey, I was just like you growing up. And they'll be like, what do you mean? And I'll say, Hey, I was out here playing football when I was your age and I was doing this and I was doing these same exact things. And when you're able to find that common ground with some of these kids it actually you could you could see how their wheels start turning. You could see how it kind of disarms them a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And you see them in the future, and they'll wave to you, or they'll 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 want to interact with you again. So I think that's I think that's that's one of the reasons why I actually got involved in it because I like that involvement. I like being able to speak with youth and let them kind of yeah. understand that not all cops are the same. It doesn't matter what race cops are. It just we're all we're all the same people and we all have the same goals in life as you guys have. Right, right. Yeah. It's like a it's like a great icebreaker. It is. It it that's kind of what it is, right? Like mm-hmm. th- this is your access into their life. And if you're good, you could take this one juice box and it'll open the floodgates to, right. to finding out. Right. Uh, where otherwise, if you're just an officer on the street. Hey, can I talk to you for a moment? No. Uh, negative. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But, but this one little mm-hmm. item, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. But you'll be surprised how hard it is to approach these kids, because it's that opening line of, "Hey, guys, I'm Deputy Grant. Uh, I work for the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. I have some Capri Suns in my trunk. Would you guys like some? Are you thirsty?" And they give you that puzzle look. Like what? Yeah. Right. And what do you mean? <laughs> but you mean one thing I always try to do is I always try to make sure if the parents are around, I approach the parents first and I explain to the parents what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And it's, it's cool because the parents embrace it totally. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about the one incident we had this last year on July 4th. What, what would be, so where would you be like a, are you at a park or you're just driving around? I just drive. So around. just literally on, on your patrol. Beat. Just on literally patrol. Literally on patrol. So driving around in between calls. There's no calls pending or you can go on the calls for service. Yeah. Uh, you're just driving around and you'll see kids out there. And it's like Chelsea said, it's normally hot or, you know, you just see a, a, a group of people together. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you about the summer. I'm sorry. I just had a training of thought and it, I just went okay. But so, so what happened the other day? So. On July 4th, I was driving. Was it the other day? July 4th. 4th. July 4th. July 4th. Oh. Several 4th. months ago. Well, I'm going to be 62 <laughs> tomorrow. So, so yes. <laughs> two seconds ago for you. Just, uh, yesterday. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I see these two kids. They're probably about six and nine brothers. And they're riding their bikes up and down the street, which which is rare because you don't see kids these days on bikes. They're normally on devices or some other thing. And I said, hey, can I talk to you guys? And the first thing they did was they just stood still, like they saw, like they saw a ghost or something. Yeah. And I said, "Can you get your parents for me?" I said, "Are your parents home?" And they said, "Yes." Said, well, can you get your parents? And the older child went and got his parents, and they returned. And I explained to the parents why I was there and what I was doing. And and the parent, the mother, absolutely tripped going to the house to get her cell phone because she wanted to. She wanted to make sure that she captured that particular moment. <laughs> and. <laughs> so cool. And I believe that that particular post is, I think we got 
maybe about 50 to 60 uh, people who actually shared that post. It went it went everywhere, and people absolutely loved it. Really yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it was what was so cool is that you just heard those parents and their friends and everyone else in the community just praising us for the job that we did. And it took me all of five minutes to do that. It, right. I think it's crazy. <laughs> like when I can see the amount of people that have looked at certain photos and yeah. it's like, is it on, on Twitter? I'm or? on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, which we'll get to at the, at the end yeah. of the drawing. But like when, when you say they've shared it, it Facebook. Was, it was on Facebook. Facebook yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. That's awesome. And I've seen like 20,000 views, 34,000 views. And what? you're just like, stop it. What? <laughs> and like, yeah. I remember I was having a conversation with somebody and they were like, oh, so 3,400. And I go, no, 34,000 people. Yeah. They were like, whoa. Let's, let's add that comma in the right place. Yeah. Right. Put that zero in there. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I said, yeah, it is. That is crazy. I mean, that's a lot of people. I would love for 34,000 people to hear this episode. Eventually. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> right? Man. They will. That's think, really cool. Yeah. And I think, and with with this, the Operation Juice Box, like last Christmas, we came in contact with a family, Deputy Grant did, that was in need last Christmas. And so we uh, were more than juice boxes, more than juice boxes, more, I mean, that's much, always nice, but. much more than juice boxes. And yeah. so, um, with operation juice box, we were able to step up and got the kids presents for Christmas. They all had presents and Christmas dinner. Deputy Grant got a tree. Yes. which was cool. Nice. So they had a Christmas. And so yeah. we've been able to help other kids too. We had a kid this spring whose father passed away. We paid for senior activities for him. We had a little boy who had neuroblastoma and uh, we had some special shirts made in his honor and sold the shirts and gave the proceeds to his family. And we're doing that again with a little girl out here in Moval. Um, so in one week we're having a Zoombathon if you want to come. A Zoombathon. A Zoombathon. You got to shake it. Yeah. <laughs> Till you make it. You're literally shaking your money maker. Seriously. Shake a tail feather <laughs> you're ra- for you're the little raising, girl. Yeah. Raise those funds. So if you want to come, because I don't, I don't know if everybody knows about it. I don't know how to Zumba. Me either. I don't think this episode rhythm. will air in time as far as that goes. Cut that part out then. <laughs> no, it stays. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes stay. They all stay. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, anyway, so uh, we did do that. So coming up, when you guys are that listening is, to this, this is going to be the past, but But December that's okay 4th, because it's not like you're going away. No, not There's going away. Gonna definitely be staying, opportunity. definitely growing. Yeah. Um, I mean, people, I love juice box donations. Today's Giving Tuesday. People are donating money to us, which is cool. PayPal's matching it. And so what we're going to do is establish ourselves in a couple other sti- states, states, states dates where people are <laughs> uh, asking for us. So we're going to Idaho people That's for sure. Awesome. For sure. We're going to Idaho, but what part twin falls, Idaho. All right. Twin falls. Mm-hmm. RSO North. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that in the, uh, the panhandle? I don't know what that means. Isn't that Florida? No, the, it's like the little, the little sliver at the top, you know, cause it, 
I don't know. All the people in our area <laughs> that we know that are moving to Idaho <laughs> will know. I don't know. Yeah. I just I, know that it's yeah. up there and it's cold. It is. It's probably cold Maybe right it'll now. be like um, juice box, like popsicles. Just <laughs> 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 50, 50 bars. <laughs> You know, 50, 50 bars. Yeah, there it is. Is that with the the orange and yeah. vanilla ice cream? Yeah, oh, yeah. But jam. we've had requests from Arizona, Alabama, Youngstown, Ohio. So I think it'll catch. I'm going worldwide. Yeah, I think you should. You want a juice box? I'll send it to you. Just let me know. And it, you know what's funny is it doesn't cost it doesn't cost whoever wants to be a part of it anything. You just have to have a happy heart and want to be. You, and want to make a difference in a kid's life. Yeah. That's it. Raise your hand. Send me a message. Say you want to be one of our guys or girls, gals, ladies. Yeah. And we'll send you juice boxes. It's very simple. But, you know, there's always going to be somebody that doesn't want to be a part. And that's okay, too. Because mm-hmm. I have had I've have had people that I thought would like to be a part of it who said no. Really? Yeah. and I And I appreciate their honesty. Yeah. Because I don't want people out there who are being told to do it. Okay, you're going to be the Operation Juice Box person. Right. And then they're out there just like flinging juice boxes and hitting kids in the face as they're like going down the street or Take whatever. Take your Capri Suns, you yeah, ingrates. no. We just want happy hearts out there doing some community policing, making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's, that's so cool. I really think that's awesome. Thank you. So are are there other um are there other things like this? Like what just I'm just kind of curious. This really has nothing to do with Operation Juice Box per se, but what what other types of things are going on out there that people are doing to bridge that gap between either the youth or the community? Cause it is a pretty it's pretty rough right now, like as far as public um perception of, of law I don't enforcement. Know. There's always coffee with the cop. Oh, that's true. There's coffee with the cop. There's shop with the cop. That's shop coming up in December. Yeah. It, it, is your department doing yeah. that as well? Yes. I think every department does that. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. Yes. For sure. And do you think these are effective? Because I, I can see the direct. Here's my train of thought and see if you can follow it because it always goes all over the place. You're on the beat going to people who may not otherwise ever want to talk to you in their whole life, possibly. Right? Like, Correct. Because you're at work. Correct. They might want to hang out with you because, you know, you're a good guy. but Because you in, hold doors open for people. Yeah. Right. They hold their purses, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but when you do things, and I'm not taking away from the anything that gets the community involved on the side of law enforcement, I'm definitely... For that, but it seems this kind of thing compared to those others, they're going to have coffee with the cop on their own free will. But you're seeking out these people and making—I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't yes. even be talking like that because I don't want to. I don't want to be like talking crap on the the other I people trying to do good stuff. I don't think that you are. Stuff. It's just different. It's just a different contact. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think that they are great. I think coffee with the cops great. People can go and you know have a, a cup of joe and express their feelings and. But I think with those emotions. other programs, they're seasonal. Shop with the cops, Christmas, coffee uh, with the cop. Yeah, Operation Juice Box is twenty four seven. Yeah, we do it year round. 
it doesn't matter. So I think that's the difference, in my opinion, uh-huh. is that we do it year round. I mean, you probably have someone doing it almost every, well, at least once a week, you will see a post for Operation Juice Box for an officer who went out in the community and handed out juice boxes to someone. Yeah. Or most of these other events, um, like I said, they're, they're probably once a month I think for the year. application process. Is that? Or the shop of the cop, maybe. Yeah. and there's, Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, right. it like, does. Oh, I'm not going to just let whomever. Right. I don't know. I've. Well, last year we did operate um, shop with the cop, and we went to a, a Walmart, and one of the kids who was involved in the program came out, and his parents picked him up in the parking lot, and he drove drove off in a Ferrari. In a Ferrari, Ferrari, in Paris. Oh. Hmm. Not Paris, France either. That sounds. <laughs> To be quite honest, that sounds suspect. Right. But you know what else I've heard, too, is it's kind of sad is that, and I have known some deputies that have stepped up and said, we ain't playing that game, but kids that are like, I need a broom and a mop. What is that? You are not getting a broom and a mop with shop with a cop. You're getting some toys. Oh. And you're getting some clothes and some new Cause, jammies. Because mom and dad sent them shopping right. Right. for the household stuff. And so we have, you know, deputies that are like, nope, it's all about you, which is great. I like shop with the cop. Yeah. I like coffee with the cop. It's great. Operation Juice Box, we are different, though, because we are going out there and uh, doing things a little differently. I know that, but we're going to schools. We're going to parks, you into neighborhoods. Into jails. Into jails. Really? I'm claustrophobic. I ain't going to the jails. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, you know, we've done, we have done the jails and it's, it's a good thing there because, you know, there are kids that have to wait in the waiting room while, you know, their moms or dads or whoever's vid- visiting with whoever's in jail. And, um, so it's just an icebreaker for those kids to talk with the deputies that are there. And oh, so it's while they're getting booked. Yeah. No, no, no. Just like visitation hours, not while the whoever's getting booked. Like oh, not juvenile member- hall. No, no, no. Just, oh, I see. Like kids saying. are going okay. with their parents or whoever to go visit whoever's in jail. And so yeah. the jail deputies, you know, out in the visiting area have juice boxes and have been giving those kids juice boxes. And that's working too. Yeah. So it's cool. That's, that's, that is cool because it's like, it's hard to have a discussion as to why their parents got arrested because you have knucklehead parents, but it doesn't matter. Like that's not their problem. That's not their fault. Right. They're just sitting there waiting. And yeah, it is a good thing that they know, like, look, we're not here to just ruin your life. Right. You know that I'm really, I'm really impressed with all of it. It's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. I'm I'm grateful and I'm thankful because it would not be going without everyone who supports me and supports my mission. Yeah. And it's all of us together that gets it done. You know, all these depths that have rolled with me from the beginning, Deputy Grant's been one of them. Deputy Glasser, Dixon, Thomas. I think I know, you know Dixon. Is he out here? Lopez from Orange County. Dixon wasn't. He's in, he's now in courts. But he was a, I think he was a SRO at one point. I think so. Anyways, yeah, I probably shouldn't be like asking descriptors, <laughs> but I, it, it sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Um, shout out to those people. 
For real though. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't have to be a part of it and they've all, you know, stepped up and, and wanted to be a part of it. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for everybody who wants to be a part of it and make a difference in some kid's life. Cause I think that, you know, like he said, sometimes it can be hard to approach the kid and cause they're looking at him like a deer in headlights. Like, what does this guy want from me? Or what does this lady right. want from me? But they're out there doing it and making friends. That's really cool. So do you have any, um, you got the snapshot of the mom from yesterday, which was in July, apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you have any other kind of like <clears throat> testimonial, you know, type things to share that there was like a tangible, like this, especially because you work in with the youth directly it's not necessarily that you're on the beat although you can be right but you're nine months of the year 10 months of the year you're dealing with youth directly correct so are there any of those kids that whether it be because of the juice box or because of the mentality that has you know formed the organization that you've said okay this kid was straight knucklehead like this kid is just bad people, like by any standard. But you know, no, he's not because, you know, you know, like need a little stand by me, like yeah, you know, movie magic type of story. Like it, I, I, I know it probably won't be so dramatic, but, but I have you, to believe that happens. Yeah, I, I think I, I don't know for sure if that's happened yet. Um, hasn't been reported back to me. But what my goal, what my, what I see in the future for that is having having my guys that are out there, the guys that are on the street out there, when they come in contact with something like that, you know, having like a once a year scholarship fund where whatever kid has changed the most because of Operation Juice Box, not that they actually got a juice box. I mean, they probably did, but whatever, they've changed their life around and are now doing something better with their life and getting good grades or focusing, not getting arrested. Um, that kid's going to get like a four pack of tickets to Disneyland or, you know, something like that. Like, you know, we're proud of you. Good job. You're doing great. Operation juice box sees you. We recognize you and we're proud of you. Yeah. I mean, maybe that sounds silly, but I think that that's important too to recognize the kids that are trying to walk on a path of goodness because of coming in contact over something so simple. Yeah, yeah. As a juice box. Well, I actually talked to a student a couple of months ago, and she, her family has a hard time right now. They're going through a, they're going through a, a hardship, and she's selling potato chips on campus just to be able to pay for her senior activities. And they she, love those talkies. Yes, they do. And flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> they eat. Oh, I'm surprised they're still alive. Like, I'm like, you guys are not getting any nutrition. It's none. You're certainly not none. getting it from the school food we could be feeding you. It's garbage. So I made an ag- I made a deal with her and I said, if you can pull your grades up, I pulled up her grades and she had some pretty low grades. I said, if you can pull up your grades, I said, I'll start talking to some people that I may know. And we'll see about getting your helping you out with your senior activities. We'll see about helping you get a job. Well, she just came into my office yesterday, and she has all C's, C's and above now. 
And she actually asked me for an application to join the Police Explorer program. Really? Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> Boom. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, and I thought that, that just that conversation with her, I think it worked because when I told her that there was, she saw that sign of hope that mm-hmm. someone cared. Mm-hmm. And for her, and she seeked me out. I didn't even seek her out. Yeah. She actually seeked me out and to, and to tell me this information. And she turned in the Explore application today. So that's going to go over to our department or to my station on tomorrow. And we'll see about be, uh, helping her become a police explorer. Very good. Good job. Yeah, that's awesome. Making a difference one kid at a time. I'm trying. That's all you can do. It's true. Is what it seems like. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I work at a school with 15, 1,600 kids. fifteen or 1,600 kids. There's no way. I mean, there's... I mean, you guys are probably understaffed for the jobs that you need to do, or ideally, right, if you lived in a perfect world, there might be double the officers on the street or something. But one could be huge. I mean, as we know, you know, for religious people or non-religious people, you can tell, like, just from life, one action in the positive or negative affects people potentially for lifetimes. Yeah. That's right. Isn't that weird? Because you don't know who you're dealing with. You yeah. don't know if that person's going to grow up and be a right. game changer in the world. Yeah. Potentially. That's right. Because I remember this one time, um, I was working at this, at coincidentally, coincidentally, the same place I work at now, but mm-hmm. I, I had a different role at that time. And basically some kids were going back. I have a philosophy when I deal with these kids I give them a choice. So I kind of know where I'm at and who I'm talking to. So I say, do you want me to talk to you like these people talk to you or do you want me to talk to you like your friends talk to you? And, of course, that kind of throws them off. Like, what, what do you mean? I said, do you want me to talk to you like these people talk to you, like the principal and your teachers? Hey, little guy. Like, all <laughs> ridiculous. Right. Or do you want me to talk to you like like your friends talk to you? They'd be like, all right, uh, you know, eventually, yeah. just mm-hmm. talk to me. Because I gave them the choice. You either talk to me and you're just going to sit here and listen to my spiel or I'm going to write you up and then you could just go talk to someone else. It's probably better you talk to me. So anyways, this kid, and I won't go into the details because they're minors and they were involved in sexual activity oh my gosh but these kids were doing some things at the far end of the school like where they reasonably wouldn't have been caught but i just happened to have seen them seen it Mm -hmm. and another teacher because a teacher pulled me aside and said hey i think these kids are going to go graffiti back there so can we kind of like corral them Mm -hmm. so anyways i talked to the kid and i said hey they tried to run it was two boys and a girl and the the boys tried to run and I caught the kid. I said, are you one of Dwight's kid? Dwight was a uh, campus supervisor and he was also a basketball coach. I said, you one of Dwight's kids? He said, yeah. um, Yeah, I play ball. I said, you're going to throw it away over some temporary stuff. You're going to throw everything. You're too young for this. Like, don't worry there's plenty of time for this in life. Like eventually it's just life. So focus on what you need to. So years later, right. 
like last year. Mm-hmm. This is years later, right. or like five seconds later in my depending on <laughs> my who you're talking age to. math. Um, the kid came back, and I happened to have been out in front of the school as kids were dropping off in front of his mom. He said, "Hey, do you remember me?" I said, "No, um, I don't." You know, because I mean, you know, we're dealing. You with see, like sixteen hundred kids a day. Thousands right? of kids later, mm-hmm. you know. He goes, "You caught me and my friends doing some nonsense." at the school and you gave me a lecture and I just, and he's literally in the front seat while his mom is, you know, people were honking and I just looked at the people like, Oh no, 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 this school is crazy. (laughs) I need to hear this because I'm on the verge of quitting this freaking place. (laughs) And he said, you catching me and giving me that lecture changed everything. I'm applying, applying to college and I played basketball all through high school and it, so yeah, I, I apologize for like borderline graphic, but it, it's it's those moments that keep us as adults working through too. Because right. sometimes we don't know if we're effective. We don't. We won't know until years later if the that's juice true. box worked or not. Right. Or whatever it may be. I think that's true because you don't ever know what effect you are having on somebody's life. Yeah. So, except my daughter's. Because let me tell you. <clears throat> About Presley, the six-year-old. So at Thanksgiving, she made some little water bottles with food coloring and glitter and some gold foil duct tape. <laughs> and she was trying to hustle those things to people as they came through the door. Sell them to people. Through what door? My front door at Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> How much did she make? $3. Right. And I said, what are you going to do with that? She goes, I'm giving it to Operation Juice Box, Mom. Aw. Uh. That's, That's so awesome. sweet. And then my other one today, I said, it's Giving Tuesday. What are you going to do? She goes, Mom, I'm just going to give to you and our cause. And she tries to tell everybody. She tries to get juice boxes from her teachers all the time. Do you know what nonprofit we have? Let me tell you about <laughs> it. It's called Operation Juice Box. That is, that is cool. I think that's cool. They're seeing, helping other people. Well, I think the youth, they're, they're far more, and this is why I, I have the issues that I do with K-12, because... The kids have hard lives, mm-hmm. at least like where I work and possibly where you work. I'm not too sure where, but like where I work, the kids do have hard lives, but the K-12 system is very, very quick to go the opposite end and coddle them instead of challenge them because I think they actually need challenge, a, a, a healthy challenge, which is going to be part of uh, this program that I'm trying to, to develop is the challenge that they need actually makes them better people, not handing them bad food, letting them get away with everything that they want. And they need structure. They do. And they will come back and appreciate you for it because they'll realize once they've moved on into adulthood, it, I saw, I saw a, uh, maybe this doesn't relate, but, there's a guy I follow. He reposted, I forgot the rapper's name, but the rapper put up a, a post on like Instagram or something. And the rapper was saying, you know, when the woman has the baby, people come to the hospital. People come in, they don't say, what? Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, and I'm probably destroying this poor man's story. <laughs> but they come into the hospital, they don't ask, uh, how are you feeling? How is your labor? 
oh my gosh, how long were you in labor? Were you in pain? They said, no, where's the baby? We want to see the baby. Go work. The point is, no one cares about the struggle. Go achieve what you need to achieve. It's going to be a struggle regardless. Like, go get it. And that's what I'm hoping that the kids find out, is that the condescension by handing you everything on a plate and telling you that your life is, is terrible and hard and it sucks, I don't think that's doing the kids a service. I don't think so either. Me either. Because I see at the school I work at, at the school I as, I'm assigned to, I should say, it's literally divided into haves and have-nots. Like the way that where the, the school is positioned, it's literally haves and have-nots. Oh, like the, the boundaries of the... Yes. Oh, I see. One side of Highway 74 and the, the north side of Highway 74 and then the south side of Highway 74. Yeah. And working in that community before I was actually assigned to the school, it's amazing that you go into some of these homes where some of these kids live and they live in trailers or homes and you have homes, garages that are makeshift into bedrooms. Mm -hmm. You go into, or you have one bedroom that's divided by a curtain and you have, you have bunk beds on both sides of this curtain that has four kids in this bed in in this one bedroom. Uh, You go into houses and, you walk through the front door and there's roaches and there's there's all kind of bugs, just bugs everywhere. And then you go to the other side of Highway 74 and you walk in and it's a 3,000 or 4,000 square foot home and 72 inch televisions and the kids have brand new iPhones and they have all right. this other stuff. And and you see both sides of that world and then you they get to school and the school system, unfortunately, and the school system is not teaching them how to, how the real life is, how the real world is. I think all of us was fortunate enough to grow up in a time where our teachers told us, hey, this is how it is. Like it or not, this is yeah. how the real world is. And when you graduate, the real world, the world is going to come punch you in the face and you have to be ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, then you're just going to fall down. Yeah. And I, I think that in the digital era, we've, the parents have gotten away from that. The parents have gotten, have gone away from actually interacting with their kids. Right. I think, and that's, I think that has a lot to do with it. My father always told me, I'm not your friend. I'm your father. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing, like I said, I talk about my father a lot, but that's one of the things that he always taught me was I have friends who drink with their kids and they smoke cigarettes with their kids and they do all these things with their kids. He said, I'll never. I knew some families like <laughs> that too. Yeah. And in high school. And he said, I'll never do that mm-hmm. with you. And he never did. You know, my dad would never allow me to get my ears pierced. I went to get my ears pierced. He says, no, you're not going to get your ears pierced. Only women get their ears pierced. <laughs> my dad wouldn't allow me to sag old my school. pants. <laughs> yes, very old school. <laughs> uh, he, wouldn't allow me to, he wouldn't allow me to sag my pants. If my pants were too big, I got a belt. Yeah. And that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it was. So, I mean, and I think that a lot of that we have, society has gone away from that because... You see these pictures of on social media all the time, and you see a family together, and they're out to dinner, or they're watching TV, and everyone at the table has a device, and everyone is focused on their device, and they're not even yeah. talking. That's right. And I think a lot of the family structure, the fathers aren't being fathers, the mothers aren't being mothers, and... These little kids are trying to raise themselves. And, and that's pretty much what's happening, because if you look at it, 
that's what's happening. Their friends are raising them. Social media is raising these, yeah. these people. Right. Um, the You have different groups. Or, when I say groups, different rap groups or different artists. And those all these people are putting so much influence in, on these kids. So that's who these kids follow. They won't follow their own parents. Because a lot of time, the parents don't care. The parents are rather... The parents would rather go out and do their own thing mm-hmm. than absolutely raise their kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. I can't. And I, I, I see it too. I see it too. They I'm sure. I but I've heard I've even heard that say all three of us we go out to dinner or something, right? We're just hanging out. I heard that even Chelsea's buying. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm dinner into on me. that. I'm into that. I heard that even taking the phone out disrupts uh, connections. And I can totally see that. Even if you never look at it, you know, because we all look at all three of us have our phones literally just on the table next to us, right? Like if we were at dinner, that's the kind of break. It would just the physical presence of the phone creates like a, a, a barrier. I think so. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing. It's weird that we're all addicted to our phones. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because it was not like that. No. I would I would even say like five years ago it wasn't like that. I've seen students have total meltdowns over their phones. What? I've seen students. Oh, they'll a, fight you over it. They will fight you over their cell phone. Yeah. I've <laughs> seen students have a total meltdown to where it's come to a point where you have to just have a one on one with them because you've taken their phone away, and they will tell you, "My cell phone is my life. My cell phone is my life." Okay. I've went to a call probably about five, six years ago, 14-year-old kid. He had just gotten an iPhone. I don't know which version it was because they come out with a different version almost every six, <laughs> six weeks. And it's no wonder they're <laughs> addicted. Right. And this kid's mother, single mom, she had just bought a brand new 56-inch TV and he wanted to upgrade his cell phone. She said, no, you're not going to upgrade your cell phone. So he takes his cell phone and he throws it at the TV and breaks the TV and the TV falls, falls and breaks. And I said, well, who's going to replace the TV? She could write a check for it. I don't care. But she should have got my cell phone. Wow. Excuse me. And Mm -mm. I looked at him and I said, you know. No, (laughs) sir. I looked at this kid and I said, you know, you're lucky you're not my son. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I said, because if you were my son, trust me. First of all, we wouldn't have gotten to this far. It it never would have reached this level. Yeah. I said, but if it did reach this level. Trust me, by the time I came home from work tonight, you and I would have a long talk and it would be a talk that you would like. Mm. And I told his mother, I was like, you know, his problem is, I said, is that he really thinks that he's in charge. I said, because he sees himself as being the man of the house. She might actually be saying that to him too. Right. Well, it doesn't help when you have a lot of single parents, mothers who call their sons father or poppy or whatever whatever you want to call them yeah because then they adapt to that as being the male figure of of the household yeah i've seen that firsthand yeah and so when you try to tell them no well i'm the man of the house how can you tell me what to do when i'm the man of the house yeah you're challenging their manhood right that they have not yet acquired correct this is out of the ojb realm i don't know about any of this well, no. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not dealing with that. But those are the kids that we're trying to reach. Right. And that's those, true. Yeah. Those, are the, those, those are the kids 
that we really need to reach because those are the kids that we need to, and the parents that we need to take a step back and say, hey, how can we help you guys? What resources do we have that can actually help you guys, whether it be for the parents' um, parental classes or whether it be with the kids, can we get you involved in some sort of sports, boxing, or some sort of counseling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because through all of us in law enforcement, we all have some sort of connection to someone that we can reach out to and say, hey, I have this family who needs help in in these areas. Can you help them? And those people are always willing to come forward and, and help. Yeah. And it starts off with a simple juice box because you may, if you see that kid once more like you're going to see that kid twice. And right. I th- and I think that's, I think that's the most important part that we have to remember. Yeah. And, and these things start on like on a grassroots level. Totally. It has to change. And I think that's the easy part when there's 7 billion people and there's like things that need to get done. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think the studies have shown, like psych, like psychology studies or psychological studies, where if someone's being hurt and there's a group witnessing it, everyone's kind of waiting on the other person to intervene. They don't want to be the one to do it. But then, oddly enough, you're more likely to intervene if you're by yourself and no one else is around. Right. Like, it's that same kind of thing. But I think it gets even bigger when you're dealing with the youth because there are so many people involved in their life that even if you're involved, if you're the teacher, the administrator, the SRO, the parent, the whomever is guiding them, I'm wondering to what extent how many people just in that one kid's life is saying, well, the SRO is really strong at this, so I'll just let them deal with it. Or the teacher is really good with my son, so I'll just let them, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's easy for people to take a back seat. And wait for others. Yeah. Because it's easier. It's a lot easier. And it's less headaches and less pain. We can't all be sheep. Yeah. I mean, and Chelsea can tell you, she gets these calls working dispatch where the parent will call 630 in the morning. I need you to have a deputy come wake up my son. My son doesn't want to go to school. My son won't do my homework. My daughter won't do her homework. Or my daughter wants to wear a certain clothing attire to school. And I told her she can't wear it. My five-year-old won't get in the car to go to kindergarten. That is, no, I, I have a friend that works dispatch for uh, a university mm. and he gets those calls too, but about adult kids not wanting to go to school and the parents are mm. paying mm. insane money for their kid to go to college and he'll literally have to tell them because they'll call because it's a private university, mm-hmm. so they have a private security mm-hmm. and they do have some sort of connection they have an agreement with because they are armed they have an agreement with the the sheriff's department in los angeles but they're not cops but they are armed security and i think they have some sort of deal with you know if they're within like a quarter mile or something they'll back up the officers but they'll call and say uh my 23 year old son doesn't want to go to biology today and they just have like Bye. What are you calling us for? You know what I mean? Like, but I can imagine it doesn't matter if they're five or 23. It's all kind of ridiculous. Like, we can't do everything for you. Right. Uh, Yeah. I think it just gets back to people are afraid to step up. People are afraid to, to be leaders. Yeah. But we can't. 
you got to be a leader. Got to lead, right? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for starting this, Chelsea. I really appreciate it. No, oh, you're welcome. I think it's I think it's a really cool thing and I think it's important especially because right now, you know, or maybe the past 10 years who, who however long it's been going on whatever this divide between the community and law enforcement and especially the youth. I think it's awesome. Thank you. We're doing it. And one I, juice box at a time. I applaud everyone involved. Me too. And Thanks team. Go OJB crew. That is awesome. So hmm? OGB, that's my initials. No, not OG, OJ. I'm just saying it's OG. That's right there. OG. That's <laughs> true. I actually thought that's what you said earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> O-J-E, Operation Juice Box. So where can people get a hold of you? And um, people can reach us at Facebook, Operation Juice Box. Just search us. Instagram, Operation Juice Box. Twitter, Operation Juice Box. You can nice. donate via PayPal, Operation Juice Box at gmail.com. Or just send us a shout out on our Gmail account. Do you use uh, a hashtag every time you post? Maybe I do. I say Operation Juice Box on every post. One juice box at a time on every nice. post. Be the light. Be the change. Yeah. Back the badge. Dig it. Digging it. Police deputy. (laughs) 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 Trying to get that circle. Yeah. Thin blue line, all those. But but for us specifically, um, hashtag Operation Juice Box and one juice box at a time. I have a question for you. Who, me? Yes. Oh, yes. Go ahead, sir. How come no fireman has stepped up to do this? Actually, now that you say that, (laughs) I do. I have one of those um, really cool firefighter cop guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Who is what does that mean? So some like an airport. No, so some Cal firefighters. Oh, they do. Where? So so Cal, like uh, Ontario, Ontario. They're part-time police officers, part-time firemen. Oh well, these Cal Fire guys. They are their position is sworn peace officer, so they have to be a captain, and they have to go through this like special training, and they are then assigned police officer powers and so their duty all the time is policing. Is it they can arson go back investigations to yes. or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. But they, can, but they have police powers throughout the state and run, you know, investigations and arrests and yeah. back other agencies and they're really cool. So um they kinda wear two two cape their capes, you know, I guess. They're superheroes times two. Yeah. Right? So I do have one of those guys um that I spoke with recently who's all about it and wants to be a part of it. So that's cool. That We're is working cool. on that. Is there, is there anyone else that like, would you be opposed to this going beyond police officers and, or maybe, I mean, should it be leaked into the schools as a concept as something else? Like, I don't know how it would work, but I don't know. I mean, I can't say no to anything. But it seems really cool, and I have a feeling that it it's going to pick up in other ways is. or at least get ripped off, right? Ew, don't even put that out there. I mean, they're, don't even put people rip there. off great ideas. People, well, I'm I'm, I have an attorney. <laughs> so yeah. Going to rip off electricity. Got it on lock. <laughs> um, yeah, she'll handle business. She's a fighter. <laughs> She's a tiger. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Why you got me thinking about that now? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks so much. I probably shouldn't have said anything. I know. I don't think you, you should have. After you gave out all your 
contact info already. I know. But, well, whatever happens, however it may be, I just hope people think of their own ways and then they start making their own changes and doing their own thing. Yes. To reach be the Be original. Youth. We want you to be original. Yeah. Don't rip people off. Please. Yeah, don't do that. That's Have not some nice. integrity. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Be a leader, not a follower. Just That's kidding. Right. If you want to be a part of us, though, reach out to us. I'm more than happy to help. Yeah, please do. And the scope is we're going big. We are going big. Sky's the limit here. Yeah, that's right. For real. With everyone's support. Yeah. We appreciate you. Deputy, you got anything else? No, sir. Thank you for having us tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. And I appreciate everyone that's listening and everyone that's involved in Operation Juice Box. I think that's super cool. Thank you. Don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks and for then, us. yeah. And then you can find Start Today on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the elusive YouTube. I'll make it there eventually. And then um, you can also find us on the internet at letsgocast.com. Find out the different shows that we have under the Let's Go Network. There's Let's Go Comics, Let's Go Pop Culture Show, and then us at Start Today. So thank you for listening, friends. Take care of yourselves. Toodles. And have a good one. Have a great day. Yeah.